Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome, folks. Welcome to another special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. It's great to be with you as always. I hope you've been enjoying all the episodes uh, each and every week. And uh, as you know, I love to bring on a a wide-ranging, eclectic group of folks from all traditions and uh, spiritual practices and paths. And today's no different. Uh, I'd heard of uh, this man I'm about to introduce to you uh, many years ago through a friend of mine, uh, Ken Honda, and uh, spoke so highly of Bashar, Bashar, Bashar. What is Bashar? And so uh, started doing some research and reading and watching videos and was just found the, the material so fascinating. And uh, a couple of years ago, I got to go to a live event and uh, just a lot of profound wisdom and insight came through. And it was different from what I'd experienced before. So I'm, I'm really excited to delve in. Um, going to introduce you to my guest today, Daryl Anka, who channels the amazing Bashar. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to be here. And so I, I really would love to find out more about your path and how you uh, got to be doing what you're doing uh, as a channel and this work. It's a little different. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious, how, 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 does, how does this happen? Well, how it happened for me, it happens a little differently for everyone, but how it happened for me was in 1973, I had two very close broad daylight UFO sightings a week apart. First time about 150 feet away and the second time only about 70 feet away. Uh, Both times a black equilateral triangle with blue white lights on each point and a sort of a dull red orange light underneath in the center. And I had witnesses with me and we all saw the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that started me investigating what this was all about, because, you know, I'd always heard about UFOs. But when you actually physically see something like that, it really changes you. It, it just makes you what understand you? that the world is not what you thought it was. What did you think when, you, when, when this was happening? When you saw well, I was it? just stunned. I mean, at first we just thought we were seeing some kind of a helicopter or a plane hovering over this hotel in the distance. And as we got closer, because we were driving, uh, it was clear that it was none of those things. And it was just this dead, still, silent machine in the sky. And as soon as we sort of passed it, it took off and we saw it disappear over the mountains. Now, the second time we saw it was a week later. And one of the people that saw it the first time with me was still with me the second time. And we were kind of like really just doubly shocked because like what again what's going on 
And this time we were literally just stopped at a traffic light in West Los Angeles. And this thing flew across the road above us about 60, 70 feet up. And so I decided to chase it. And I turned right. It was zigzagging over this neighborhood and I followed it. And my friend was leaning out the window and she was acting a shotgun and saying, you know, go left, go right. It's over there Mm -hmm. because there was a lot of trees in the way and was kind of obscured. And then we kind of lost sight of it. And just on an instinct, I turned right down this one street and she just yelled, stop. And I stopped the car. We looked out the windows. This thing was right above us. And it just shot up into the sky like a bullet. And, and that was the end of that. But after seeing something like that, you know, always hearing people say, well, we don't know if these things are real or what have you. Well, suddenly the whole world changed. It's like, okay, these things are real, whatever they are. And so I started doing a lot of research to figure out what was going on. And the research into the UFOs, especially back then, led me to other kinds of metaphysical things because, you know, back then there weren't very many books on the subjects and they were kind of all lumped on one bookshelf in the bookstore. So I just kind of went down the line and found out about channeling and other things, mostly through the Jane Roberts Seth books. Now, 10 years after the sighting, I happened to be introduced by someone to a channel who was conducting seminars. And I thought, okay, well, this will be interesting. I'll never seen a live channel. I'll go check this out. And the information seemed very positive and very helpful. And after a few months, the entity coming through that channel offered to actually teach a channeling class. Now, I didn't think I was going to become a channel. I just thought, okay, this this is a good way to further my, my research, my investigation as to what channeling is all about. But about halfway through the course, which was 12 weeks long, when we were in a guided meditation given by the entity, I suddenly just got this hit in my head, like somebody just shoved this DVD in my head. And the whole idea of what the UFO sighting was all about and who Bashar was and that I had made some kind of an agreement to do this in this life with him just literally was all there in a split second, like a memory unfolding. And I thought, okay, is this a hallucination, a side effect of the meditation? I didn't know what it was. But the minute that happened, I hadn't said anything. The entity stopped talking to the class and turned right to me and said, there's an entity here for you now, if you're ready to begin. And I happened to glance behind me. And one of the classmates somehow had picked up on the image of Bashar. I saw in my head, she was sketching his face on a piece of paper. So I suddenly had two outside validations that this wasn't just my imagination. Something was going on here. So I decided to pursue it. By this time, I understood at least fundamentally that channeling was a a natural state. There was nothing to be afraid of. And I progressed, practiced, and I made enough progress, I guess, that the the teacher asked if I would co-channel with him in the next class. So I continued to get practice channeling. Then eventually this woman came along who was um, doing the first doctoral thesis paper uh, on the connection between psychology and channeling. And she was looking for subjects to study. And I became one of her subjects. I would go to her house. I would channel for her friends. She would take notes and create her paper. But word started spreading. And so, you know, the first week there were five people. And then the next week there were 10 and then 20. We had to start doing it twice a week and then in two houses a week. And then I had to start renting auditoriums. And I started getting asked to different cities, different countries. And it just kind of word of mouth just just blossomed. And that, in a nutshell, is, you know, what happened. And here I am 38 years later and still. Wow. wow. That's uh, it's a trip. It's a trip. Definitely. What, what, what did it 
What does it? I'm curious. What does it feel like when 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 you're when when you're channeling? Number one, what does it feel like, and how do you know? Like, how do you know you're really channeling versus free flowing? Like, well, is there a difference? Not really. See, that's the thing. You know, we recently made uh, a couple of years ago a documentary called First Contact about my story, about how I became a channel. And one of the things I really wanted to um, do in that documentary was demystify the whole concept of channeling. Channeling is a natural state, and we all do it from time to time. In the brain, it's called the gamma state, between 40 and 100 cycles per second. And any time you're focused doing what you love to do when you're in the zone, you are in a channeling state. Now, what you do with it is different for everyone in terms of knowing how to get into that state and what to bring through. But it's a state of heightened association, heightened connectivity in the brain, different ways of synthesizing and associating and distributing information, different kinds of connections. The brain becomes very cohesive and coherent in that state, and you sort of see things from a much higher perspective. So whether it involves another entity or not, or whether it's my own higher mind or another portion of consciousness, you know, I have no way of proving that Bashar is a real extraterrestrial entity. And from my perspective, it doesn't matter because this is a natural state we all can get into and tap into what we need to bring through the information that works for us at that moment. So it really does feel like it's just a free-flowing thing. Now, for me, it's kind of like going into a very powerful daydream. I, I, I know there's something happening. I know a conversation is being had, but I'm experiencing energy and information and images and abstract or concrete images flow through my mind. Concepts come through in a very collapsed sort of way. There's Time is very collapsed for me. It's like like if you were really lost in a daydream and somebody walked in the room and, and had to call your name five times before you even realized somebody was calling your name, it's kind of like that where I know there's a conversation, but I don't hear the words or pay attention to them. They go so fast through me that what I'm experiencing is so much more powerful than whatever's going on out in the room with a conversation. Um, I sometimes liken it to standing under a pounding waterfall of energy the people having the conversation are getting the spray. I'm experiencing the waterfall. So it's an all-encompassing kind of deep daydream, very dynamic, very powerful. Um, but that's how I experience it. Different people might experience it in different ways. Wow, wow, wow. So how you talked about this gamma state. Mm -hmm. um, before we go there, because I have so many questions I have, just, just to clarify for those listening, listening in, who is Bashar? Because we, we talked about Bashar, just, sure. just to set the context. Who is Bashar? What is Bashar? You said you, you just said you didn't even know if he was actually real. Now, this is interesting. I so, can't prove it. So, can't so, break, so break that down because yeah. shows how it seems kind of real. There's, there's people that, you know, well, have a relationship yeah. with this entity. So what is Bashar? Who is Bashar? Talk to us about that. Okay. Bashar presents himself and always has from the beginning as an extraterrestrial entity. And what's happening in the channeling is that this is a telepathic contact. So in, in a sense, by going into the channeling class, I was trained to alter my brainwave frequencies to be more receptive to his brainwave frequencies. And this was again done by an agreement that happened on a higher level, apparently. But since I can't prove that he exists, I just have to let it come through in the way that it does. And if he is real, well, then ultimately someday that might be something that can be concretely proven. But right now, 
The most important thing is the information. And what I can say is the information that comes through from him is real. In other words, you can apply the information in physical reality and get a physical change in your life. So to me, that's more important than saying, well, is Bashar a real extraterrestrial? The information he brings through does work. And to me, that's the proof of the pudding. So wherever it's coming from, that's what really is important to me. Now, Bashar does present himself as an extraterrestrial. According to him, he comes from a civilization that in their language is called Essasani, um, which means, I guess, place of light, and is coming from a parallel reality, an alternate universe, so to speak. But to him, distance and time doesn't really matter. They're evolved to the point where distance and time are very flexible to them, which is why he can make the connection uh, to a being, me, in another reality. Um, so he presents himself as what people have referred to as a hybrid being. Now, I don't know how much you're familiar with things like the greys and what's called alien abduction and all that. Mm -hmm. But according to some people who claim to have experienced that, they have witnessed that the gray beings seem to be creating hybrid beings from their genetics and our genetics by taking DNA from us. Bashar has said that his civilization is one of the hybrid civilizations that was created this way. Now, they recognize that the reason the greys were doing this, and this is, this is the only, this is a story I've never heard from anyone else but Bashar, is that the greys are not really alien. They're mutated humans from a parallel reality that destroyed their version of Earth, mutated themselves, and were dying out. The only way to reclaim their civilization was to find viable human DNA. So they had to use their technology to go into parallel realities like ours to get mm -hmm. that DNA and create a hybrid species that would perpetuate their society. Now, in return for that, the hybrids are helping us not to go down the same destructive path by giving this information to us that can help us change our world for the better in more positive ways. And they could eventually come to live among us when open contact is something that's available to us as we make the appropriate changes to make it more feasible for that to happen. That in a nutshell, a very brief nutshell, yeah. is the story of the background of what Bashar has given us as to who he is and where he comes from. And in his society, he is what is called a first contact specialist. In other mm -hmm. words, he makes first contact with different civilizations. And this is generally the way they do it. They find a way to make a connection with a member of the society they're attempting to contact through channeling or whatever way. And they distribute information and they watch and see what we do with that. And what we do with that determines for them whether we're actually ready to have open physical contact with their society and other extraterrestrial species. So that, that's what he has said he's all about. Fascinating. Yeah, and I, I know that's it's, a lot to take in. It, it, it's a lot, but it's, 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 it's fascinating. So how can someone who's listening in mm -hmm. open themselves, or let's say you talk about altering the brainwaves, right? open themselves to alter the brainwaves to receive information from higher dimensions or entities or, or just maybe it's not an entity, maybe it's just a dimension. That's one. But it, it brought the question of how can we do that? But also to open yourself, how can we, you said something like tuning into the frequency or the brainwave that Bashar is. 
how can we be uh, uh, careful to not tune into a frequency of a being or a dimension that might be dark and, and, and negative or, you know, uh, toxic yeah. in some way? Well, that's why he gives us what he has called the formula or the instruction manual. He has codified for us from his understanding of life, his experience of life at their point in evolution, which is thousands of years ahead of us, how we create our reality experience. So okay. he is literally giving us a kit, a mechanical instruction manual for how we do this. And it all starts with acting on your passion. Because mm -hmm. when you're in the vibration of whatever it is that excites you the most, whatever you're passionate about, you raise your frequency to a certain level that can only receive information that's constructive and positive and integrative. The idea being then that you follow that by constantly doing that as best as you can, taking it as far as you can, mm -hmm. without any assumption or any insistence on what the outcome should be, because the mm -hmm. truth is, is we don't really know what the ideal outcome needs to look like. And you remain in a positive state, no matter what manifests, even if what manifests is something you don't objectively prefer. In other words, it's not vibrationally compatible with what you prefer. It's still there for a reason. So if you mm -hmm. stay in a positive state, you'll be able to figure out how to use that manifestation in a positive way instead of a negative way. And you constantly examine your belief systems and to let go of the fear-based beliefs, the negative beliefs that would be more representative of matching something toxic, whether within yourself or somewhere else. So by definition, following that formula keeps you in such a high vibrational state that nothing toxic, in a sense, can find you, so to speak, or connect to you because you're on a different frequency level. Because from his point of view, this is just a matter of physics. You can only experience what you're the frequency of, and you can't experience what you're not the frequency of. It just matches. It's just, you know, what you put out is what you get back. So by following that instruction manual, he says, then you will remain in a positive state if you follow it precisely, clearly, consciously, and you will allow synchronicity to be the organizing principle of your life. These things automatically start connecting you. They support you. They reflect to you whatever it is that's in you that is out of alignment with that. So you mm -hmm. can deal with it and let it go. And all these things from his point of view function automatically when you follow those instructions. So he's given us this toolkit and basically says, look, you know, this is the way reality works. And if you just follow it, everything will fall into place. Now, we have to get out of our own way. We have to give up negative and fear-based beliefs or even just erroneous beliefs to allow this to function in the cleanest possible way. So, you know, one of the ones he's constantly talking to people about is when he tells them, here's the instruction manual, they go, is it that simple? And he goes, your belief tells you that it has to be more difficult than that. But that's just a belief. It really is this simple. If you understand that and understand how the mechanism works, everything will fall into place into the way that it needs to. But you've got to get your negative ego out of the way. You've got to think you know best what might need to happen and let what you need come to you instead of insisting all the time on what you want, which may not be what you actually need. So it's things like that that he delivers to us that allows us to raise our vibration, 
because he says, when you follow your passion, your, your vibration goes up. And when your vibration goes up, you literally become a more sensitive antenna or a receiver for higher frequency information and experience. That's how it works. I have a follow-up question, but I have a question before the question. And the question before the question is, okay, this might sound strange, but forgive ah. me. I, are you speaking as Daryl now or are you speaking as Bashar now? Which is which? Like, well, how, does that, how does that work? Do you not get confused? I don't. <laughs> okay, you don't. Well, remember, I mean, you'd know if you were speaking to Bashar. There would be a complete oh, okay. personality, cadence, tonal quality, everything. Got the it. thing is, I've been doing this for 38 years, and I have to say, obviously, his knowledge has rubbed off on me and I've applied it in my own life. Mm. I can talk about it myself now. Mm. And I sometimes often do like this in interviews or I'll give lectures as myself because, you know, Bashar delivers information in seminars and it's, you know, a two hour seminar and he can only touch on so many things, mm. uh, to so many people in that amount of time. So I have started teaching classes myself on his principles because then over the course of maybe several mm. weeks, People can really dive down more deeply into the principles and really hone their understanding of what it is he's talking about. So they can really make it their own and make it work for them. Okay. So after 38 years, I mean, you know, it's like you, you give seminars, you know that when you're in the flow, you just know what you're talking about because you've been there, you've experienced that you've done that. So at this point, I can do the same thing. Now, there are questions I can't answer of maybe, you know, a more personal or cosmic nature that Bashar can dive into. He can sense because of where he's coming from. But in terms of his principles, at this point, the concepts are completely ingrained in me. I use them in my own life and I, I know how to talk about them. So gamma state, you talked about gamma opening up. How do, how, what can we do to open up more of that gamma state to be more receptive? Are there any specific techniques? Or? That's what I'm saying. It goes back to the formula. Follow oh. the formula. Every, almost every question of that nature goes back to, here's the formula. Wow. There, do, there are no more instructions. Don't change the instructions. Don't add to them. Don't take away from them. That's how you do it. That's why he's giving it to us, to make it as simple as possible. Now, Is it, it that simple? <laughs> is it that simple? It is that simple. And this is what I love about doing this is because... When people really, truly, finally apply it and they come back to me and they go, oh, my God, it worked and it's changed my life profoundly. And that's what I get out of this. It's really gratifying. Again, I'm sure you know the feeling when people come and say, hey, you know, this thing you told me, this technique, this idea, this perspective, it changed my life. That is what tells me that I know it works because it's not just me applying it. It's other people. And they come back and said it absolutely works. So again, the idea is you can use whatever technique you want, but that's based on the idea of the first principle, which is what are you attracted to use? What are you excited to use? What is it that you're passionate about doing? If it, is it meditation? Is it some kind of crystal work? Is it this? Is it that? From Bashar's perspective, that's all valid. If you're attracted to use it, that's an expression of your passion. And that means it's your vibration. It's your path. Because he defines passion as this. We have a physical mind. We have a higher mind, a non-physical higher mind. And the non-physical higher mind guides us in the physical reality. It's like someone standing on the mountaintop to guide us while the physical mind is down wandering around in the valley. But he's saying the physical mind is um, receiving like an antenna information and messages all the time from the higher mind. But the language of the higher mind being non-physical is a language of energy. Mm. 
So mm -hmm. when the non-physical higher mind communicates with you about what direction to go, what to choose, and this and that, our physical body translates that communication as the sensation of passion. That's what that is. It's the message from the higher mind saying, this is you. This is your next step. This is the step on your path. Don't stray from it. Now, obviously, we have free will. We can stray from it. But every time we do, it becomes more difficult because we're not flowing in our own current. So the higher mind is constantly reminding us by sending us opportunities to act on that are very attractive, that this is your path. This is what will actually be able to support you. Just keep moving forward on it. And when you take the action on your passion, you are answering the higher mind saying, I heard you. I'm willing to believe you. But the language that we have to use from physical reality is not words. It's action. Action. It's right. physical action. This right. is a physical reality. So we have to take the action that demonstrates we get the idea and we have to act on the passion to the best we can. And when we do, then we've started the ball rolling. We're now engaged in a constant dialogue with the higher mind. We tell the higher mind, I heard you and I'm ready for more. So when you are willing to act on your passion, the higher mind will send you more opportunities to do so. If you don't act on your passion, it won't send you anything until you've acted on what it's already sent you because that would be pointless and it mm. doesn't do pointless things. So we have to make the decision okay. to understand that that's what passion is. It's the signal, it's the compass needle pointing to our magnetic north and we need to actually follow it and act on it and everything will fall into place. The higher mind is constantly doing that, but we have the ability to ignore it. And that usually comes from fear-based beliefs we've been taught, negative beliefs, or just erroneous definitions of things that are just out of alignment with the way things actually are. So it's clearing all that out, that is the process and the work that needs to be done to allow who we are to shine through, our true selves to shine through. But it's as simple as starting by following your passion and it doesn't even have to be a life-changing passion. I mean, it doesn't have to be a big career. It doesn't have to be a, an enormous <clears throat> project. He means on every level. So let's just say, you know, we're doing this right now because this is the most exciting thing that's happening right now that we've chosen to do. But when this conversation is over, what are we each going to choose? We could read a book. We could have a meal. We could talk to a friend. We could see a movie. We could take a walk. Whatever has even the slightest bit more excitement or attractiveness to it, that's the thing to act on first, because you never know where that's going to lead. And doing that is what allows the organizing principle of synchronicity to bring us where we need to be, whether we know it or not. Even if what we're doing next seems absolutely unconnected to what we were doing a moment ago, it's the excitement that tells you in both of those things that they are linked. So you follow the path of excitement, not how things look. You can't judge a book by its cover. It's the content that you're following and excitement is the content. I love what you're saying. And I have a question because I think you just broke it down in a very beautiful way. So what I'm hearing, this passion energy that we feel is, is the communication from the higher mind. Right. And our action is our communicating back to the higher mind that we got the message that activates the process and the cycle. Okay. Exactly. Now you talk, I love this, like, cause this is in many ways how I live my life. Yeah. I feel something, go here, do that. Makes no sense, but it's like, do it. Boom, right. magic happens. Right, exactly. Stuff happens I could not have even planned. But I do have a question. Yes. You're talking about following the excitement. Okay. 
But what if the excitement is, uh, let me give a specific example. Someone's married. Mm -hmm. They see someone else who, guy meets a girl who's not his wife. It's like the excitement is to to go sleep with this woman. Is that excitement? Or is it anxiety disguised as excitement? See, this is how I want the differentiation. It's like what I think is exciting but it's exciting, but the excitement is causing pain or is no, 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 in a direction. No. Excitement can't cause pain. It's the misunderstanding of what you're doing, thinking it's excitement that causes the pain. Excitement so is a positive state that cannot contain pain. So if pain is involved, that means you've left your excitement. That's the first clue. So how does, let's say, this principle of discipline come? For instance, well, I say, well... I'm not that excited to sit down and do my homework. I'm not that excited to sit down uh, and and write my book, write my book. It's not exciting. I just want to go and take a hike. I just want to go. At some point, I have to sit down and write my book. I'm going to get shit done. I'm going to be broke. I'm going to be homeless. (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. This is where honesty comes in. Real honesty about why you choose to do what you do. And it really comes down to what? The thousands year old philosophy, know thyself. So you have to have a really clear conversation within to honestly address why you're choosing to do what you're choosing to do, because it's very easy for many of us, because we're taught all sorts of fear-based beliefs, to disguise that as excitement because we don't want to look at it. We don't want to know that we're in fear. We don't want to know that we're making choices out of desperation or anxiety. We don't want to face that idea. We're in denial about a lot of things that are in our belief system. And again, this is where when we examine what we believe to be true about ourselves, we have to be searingly honest and transparent about who we are, why we're choosing to do what we're choosing to do. And also, at the same time, not impose assumed societal structures on what might be a real attraction to another person, but that doesn't necessarily mean what you think it might mean. A strong attraction does not have to be formatted in a typical societal outcome. So you don't necessarily, when you're honest with yourself, have to realize, oh, I'm so attracted to this person that it means we're gonna have sex. Mm. It might be for a completely different reason. And if we're really transparent and honest with ourselves, we might realize that the strength of the attraction bears absolutely no bearing on the way in which that relationship needs to unfold. It just means that it's an important relationship. There's an important reflection here for us. And it may even be, paradoxically, that the way we feel that it should be might be the thing that's being pointed out to us as that's what you believe. That may be the reason for the strength of the attraction to point out to you that you believe you've got to have Mm -hmm an intimate relationship with this person when that may not actually be true. So it brings everything to the forefront of our consciousness so we can examine ourselves, really know ourselves, and understand why we choose what we choose to do instead of just blindly choosing it. The other point you brought up that I want to address is, you know, when we say, okay, I'm not really excited about doing this. First of all, we have to always make sure, again, based on our belief systems, that we're not the one dampening the excitement when it might be exciting, if we went about it in a different way. So the, again, assumptions we have ingrained within us 
automatically help us sometimes define things in a way that doesn't work. We just mm-hmm. automatically assume, well, that's a negative thing. That's a hard thing to do. I, that's, that's difficult. I, that's not fun. But that may not be true. We may be the ones that are defining it in a way that doesn't make it as exciting as it could be. Now, if the excitement naturally wanes, it's not you saying, you know, I've defined this in a negative way and that's why it's not exciting and it naturally wanes, then that's fine. There is something else that you need to be doing that's more exciting. But you always have to double check first whether you're the one that's making the excitement go away because of assumptions and definitions that you've been taught to hold on to that don't necessarily have to be the case. Or if it truly is waning, there may be another way to do it. Even if it's the same thing, there might be a different way to do that thing that is more exciting because we each Mm. have our own path. And even sometimes having, and you know, obviously this would be just in certain cases, having someone else do it for us, and I don't mean that in a negative sense, I don't mean taking away responsibility, but sometimes having help yeah, is yeah, still yeah. us doing it in a more exciting way. I get what so you're saying. So we have to examine all those things and mm-hmm. see where it is we actually fall in the spectrum of where the choices are being made from within ourselves. Because very often we just automatically attach definitions to things that are not necessarily the real definition or certainly not necessarily the workable definition that works mm. for us. So when Bashar is talking about making a choice, you know, he's saying when, yes. when something comes up and you feel a negative thing, don't rush past it. Don't ignore it. Don't suppress it. Stay with it. Ask yourself, why am I feeling this way? Where is this coming from? Because that's the moment that's most important is figuring out what you believe to be true about yourself in this situation that is bringing up a negative reaction. Because you can't have a feeling of any kind in a vacuum. A feeling has to come from something you believe to be true, whether it's conscious or unconscious. So if you use the feeling, use the fear, use the hesitation, use the distasteful sensation you're getting and backtrack it. What would I have to believe is true about myself in the situation to feel the way I'm feeling? Then you're using the fear and you're using the negativity in a positive way to illuminate what the belief within you is and bring it to conscious recognition to realize that it makes no sense what you're buying into. And he said, you can ask it a different way. We're so used to dealing with fear that it might even be more powerful to figure out what those beliefs are by asking the question from the opposite point of view, which is, if I did move forward in the way I say I prefer to, what am I afraid might happen? That will usually reveal the fear-based belief. (laughs) I'm afraid I might get lonely. I'm afraid I might not have enough support. I'm afraid that I'll be judged. I'll be ostracized. You know, all these things we come up with that are not necessarily true at all. They're not facts but they're what negative beliefs are getting you to believe. And here's why, if I may go on. Yes, please. Bashar explains that beliefs are a particular kind of a mechanism. First of all, physical Mm -hmm. reality from his point of view is not real. It's a projection of consciousness. It's an illusion. So something has to happen to make us believe that physical reality is real so we can have a physical reality experience, right? Because our natural state is non-physical, we're spirit. And therefore, to have a physical experience, we have to kind of impose a framework on our consciousness to focus us in a way that allows us to have what we think is a solid physical 
reality in a physical dimension, which is only, again, an illusion. The way this happens, the structure that causes this are the belief systems. So belief systems are designed to perpetuate themselves because without believing something to be true, we wouldn't have a physical experience at all. Now, we have no problem with positive beliefs reinforcing themselves because they're positive. We like them. We enjoy them. But negative beliefs can only use negative mechanisms to reinforce themselves, to perpetuate themselves. And that's what they're designed to do, is perpetuate themselves. So negative beliefs will use all sorts of tactics, fear-based tactics, to prevent you from letting it go. That's how it perpetuates itself. So if you say, well, I really am excited about doing this, the fear-based beliefs that you may be holding on to will say, oh, well, but if you do that, something really bad might happen. You never know. It could be worse than what you're experiencing now. Oh, yeah, you're right. It could be. So you start buying into the reality that the negative belief is feeding you and you never try. But you have to understand that what it's telling you is just a story. It's just the way it has of perpetuating itself. And there are dozens of ways it does this. So you have to see through the illusion. You have to see through the idea that what it's telling you is a fact. It's not a fact. It's just a belief. And if you know it's just a belief, then you can change it because beliefs can be changed. So I'm going to ask, how, how do we actually change the belief? Because sometimes we come to this understanding of, yeah, it's just a belief. You know, we, sometimes people parrot, ah, it's just a belief. I know it's right. not real. Right. But I still feel, feel right. not enough. Which I still feel right. not enough. I still don't love myself. But I know I should. And I know it's a belief. I know it's not true. But it hasn't landed yet. So how do we... All right. Yes, I understand. And saying it hasn't landed yet, saying I know it's not true, in a sense is false. Because if you knew it was true, you wouldn't feel that way. So how do we get to the knowing? Right. Exactly. The way you do that is by really paying attention to what the belief is saying to you and comparing it to what other people are capable of doing in the world. So let's say, you know, I want to be an artist, but I'm afraid that it won't support me or whatever. Now you look around and you see that there are a lot of other people who are artists who are perfectly supported. Now, if you can see them, what's different about them from you? Why can they do it and you can't? Mm -hmm. So when you actually pay attention to what the fear-based belief is telling you, when you really break down what it's saying, you start to realize it's telling you nonsense. It doesn't make sense anymore. And as soon as it doesn't make sense, it's gone. That's the end of the cycle of letting a belief go, not the beginning. So when people say, okay, now I've made it made nonsense. What do I do to get rid of it? No, you've gotten rid of it. If you keep doing it, that just means you haven't found the core belief. Because see, this is another trick. A core belief, I'm unworthy, I'm not deserving, I'm not blah, 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 may be hiding under secondary negative beliefs. And it might let you get rid of a secondary belief because then that means you think you've gotten rid of it and you haven't. So you have to keep digging and find out where does that idea come from that I'm not good enough to do this, but they are. Why am I different than that? What am I telling myself? What story am I buying into that makes it impossible for me to truly live my passion, if it really is my passion, to be doing something that I can see other people have no problem doing? What's different about me? Well, the only thing that's different about them is they've swallowed a belief that doesn't work for them. It's out of alignment with who they are. So they have to get the belief to make no sense anymore. And that's where you start looking at the world and understanding, well, if they're worthy, why aren't you? 
If they're capable, why aren't you? If they're deserving, why aren't you? And now you can have a different conversation here because I like what Bashar says about the idea of unworthiness. He usually begins by asking people, do you think creation makes mistakes? They usually say no. All right. Well, here you are. You exist. You must be a necessary part of existence. Otherwise, there would be no point to why you would exist. So existence, creation, God, goddess, all that is, whatever you want to call it, must need you to be complete. You are worthy of your existence by the fact that you exist. So if you want to argue about your worthiness, <laughs> go ahead. But I guarantee you will never win that argument because you will never cease to exist. You may change form, mm. but you, the unique perspective you are of all that is, cannot cease to exist. Why? Because there's nowhere for it to go. Existence is its own state. Non-existence, by definition, doesn't exist. That's what non-existence is. Not existing. So non-existence itself is the very definition of not existing. Therefore, there's nowhere for things that exist to go. So you can't win that argument. Mm -hmm. And if you want to keep beating your head against a brick wall and arguing, and here's the other side of the story. It's like, okay, you'll get sick and tired of doing that, and maybe you'll finally give up and realize that you're worthy. But the other side of it is he really uses this interesting perspective and twists it around and says, okay, you're telling me that you're unworthy. So what you're actually saying to me is, I, out of all of the beings in existence, am the only one that's unworthy. Well, that's pretty arrogant. Don't you think? <laughs> so he turns non-worthiness into arrogance, and people go, oh, I don't want to be arrogant. So he gives this perspective in such a way that people start getting the idea that there's nothing they can do to erase themselves from existence. And they're actually being very mm -hmm. arrogant when they think they're being humble, but they're not. So he gets this perspective to shift within them. And then they start being freer to be themselves, which is the whole point, because that's our purpose in life is to be who we are as best as we possibly can be as fully as we can be, and let go of all the things that prevent us from doing that. That's awesome. Awesome. I love the, 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 the way you broke that down. It's beautiful. You, you touched on the purpose of life, and I actually kind of had a question on, on that mm. from your perspective. You, you said, well, physical reality isn't real. I mean, for most of us, it sure as hell seems real. Well, the you know, experience is real. The experience okay. is real. Yeah. So what, what from Bashar's perspective, what is the purpose of life? What, why do we incarnate into this experience and it's freaking death and there's heartbreak and there's suffering and, and yes. pain and, and just, you know, it, this shit is hard sometimes. It is. So it is. Because, what's the purpose of incarnation? <laughs> because we get to experience the process of change, the process of creation. We get to transform things. That's a very powerful experience to be able to transform darkness into light, negative to positive, limitation into freedom. Bashar has often said, you know, when many people say, oh, you know, we're here on earth and we're like a bunch of kindergartners. He says, no, you're not. You're a master mm -hmm. graduating class. Imagine how powerful your soul has to be to be mm -hmm. able to choose to go into something that is so deeply dark, so deeply forgetful, so deeply negative, and yet mm -hmm. still 
strive to transform it. He said, you are very powerful beings. This is a master graduating college. And that's Love why that. you're here because you can accelerate things. He uses this analogy he calls the rubber band analogy. You know how when you pull a rubber band back and let it go, it just snaps the other way? Well, this is what he's saying about this kind of reality. The farther back you go into darkness, when you finally decide to let go, it'll snap that much farther and faster into the light. So we use the great density here, the great forgetfulness, the darkness here, the limitations, the stuff, the suffering, to be able to understand how to transform something that dense into something much lighter. And that is a profound experience for a soul to have. And mm -hmm. it can be used in a number of ways. And he says, even just what we're experiencing here, not justifying any of the pain or suffering, because the whole point is to learn to transform out of it. But he says, even other civilizations are learning from you. Because if you can change from such great darkness into light, when another civilization may not be experiencing the degree of limitation that you are, then it's easy for them to see that they can do it too. Because if you can do it on earth, which is very dense, mm -hmm. they can do it when it's less dense. He calls us the masters of limitation. And mm -hmm. he, it goes, it, he, the inflection is important because at, at an original conversation, when he, he broached that nickname for us, he called us, you know, the masters of limitation because we have so many limitations that we impose upon ourselves. But what we're becoming are the masters of limitation so that mm -hmm. we understand how to use limitation mm -hmm. for positive purpose rather than just getting swamped by the idea that we've imposed limitations on our consciousness. But mm -hmm. again, we have to look at the, the underlying true reality. From his perspective, to reinforce the idea that physical reality isn't really real as a place, but real only as an experience, he says, your natural state, what I said before, is spirit. You never leave spirit. Mm. He's saying, we're there right now. We're in spirit. We are dreaming that we're not in spirit. That's what physical reality is. A portion of our greater consciousness is pretending that it's not in spirit anymore. But it is. In order to have this experience of profound transformation and profound change. Plus, being more in a realm where time and space are more solid and felt more solidly, he says, you can discover something about yourself that you didn't know, a new perspective, a new process, a new angle of who you are. And it's that discovery from a new perspective that actually expands creation. Because he's saying that the structure of existence never changes. It is what it is. What changes is your perspective of it, your experience of it, your relationship to it, that's how creation expands infinitely, because you can always have a new perspective, a new experience of it. So no matter how dense it is, no matter how light it is, everything has its valid reason for being and can be used in a positive way. That's what we need to remember. So we don't have to suffer, but we have to remember that we don't have to suffer. Whereas <laughs> when we get into this victimhood mentality, we get caught up in the idea that, oh, this can't change and all that. Yes. But again, it goes back to, but those are things the negative belief is telling you. It's not a fact that you can't change. There's no inherent difficult situation. You just believe there is. And that's what you have to learn. And that's what you're transforming is this idea that this is innately a factually negative reality. It's not. But that's the way you've been taught to look at it. Therefore, that's the way you're experiencing it. Because again, remember, what you put out 
is what you get back, even mm -hmm. if it's unconscious. So mm -hmm. it's learning about who we are in this context of the physical experience and allowing ourselves to be our greater selves here and transforming it in the way that allows us to demonstrate our power as greater beings. Mm. Powerful. Talk to me about these times, these times we're going through. Um, <laughs> Exciting, eh? Intense, intense yeah. times, intense yeah. times on planet Earth. Uh, yeah. A, a lot of people have gone through so many shifts and changes and Absolutely. challenges in the last year, death, jobs lost, dreams shattered. And so from your perspective, the Shah's perspective, speak to the times we're going through since COVID hit and, and what is happening in humanity, in, 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 this, in, in the evolution of humanity? Well, right? it is a time of transformation, and that means it's a time for owning up to the consequences of the choices that we've made, mm. any of which have been negative. So one on a, on a, you know, let's say on a very physical level, one of the consequences of destroying the natural environment is COVID. Because when you destroy a natural environment where viruses normally thrive, mm. they have to go somewhere else. And if we're the only thing that's left, they go to us. So it's one of the consequences of destroying the environment. And the idea, again, is still, it gives us an opportunity to look at ourselves, to choose something different, to respond in a more positive way to what's going on in our relationship to nature, to the world, to each other. Uh, it's an opportunity to expand our understanding of our connections with each other and what it is that is more representative of the kind of reality we say we would prefer, but don't necessarily always act like we prefer it. Again, going back to that, you have to act the way that is representative of the reality you want to prefer. You can't, you know, just give it lip service. Um, and also, he's saying, you know, we are at the end of a cycle of limitation now. We're going into a new cycle. And therefore, everything has to come out on the table. We have to see very clearly what we do and what we don't prefer. And we're getting a first-class experience in seeing things we don't prefer both politically, socially, economically, you know, all sorts of levels are involved in this. And so it's like, make up your mind. What kind of a planet do you really prefer to have? And this, again, goes hand in hand with their observing whether we're ready or not to engage with other civilizations who've already made that decision to be more positive. So they're watching us very closely in terms of how we handle the crises we go through, because the crises are usually of our own making anyway. So do we learn the lessons or do we not learn the lessons and repeat the same old thing over and over again? That's what they're watching very closely. And it completely will determine whether we actually are able to have open contact with other civilizations. So we need to learn the lessons and we need to act differently. And we need to respond to what we have created as crises in a more positive way with each other. Wow. But that's wow. what's going on right now. It's, it's all coming to a head. In a very, very intense way yeah, um absolutely. you talked about learning the lessons i'm curious on an individual level now let's say in, in this life uh someone i i don't learn the lessons i i take a path that may be not so great yeah it happens what, what happens do we reincarnate what, what's your what, what's what's the teaching there what <laughs> do we come back and then relive everything again and okay. through, what happens yeah. All right. The first principle to remember for any of these kinds of questions is time and space are illusions. Okay. Everything exists at the same time. It's just on a different frequency that we interpret 
as the past and the future, but everything is simultaneous. An analogy that Bashar often uses is television. If you're watching a television program, you know there are hundreds of other programs playing at the same time, right? So when you change the channel, you get to see a different program. Now, that doesn't mean the program you were watching a moment ago doesn't exist anymore. It's still playing. So he's basically saying reality is structured this way. People who live in the past aren't living in the past. They're living right now, but they're in a frequency we call the past. People from the future are living right now, but they're in a frequency we call the future. We can have the experience of reincarnation because, again, we can experience things in physical reality in a linear fashion, like one thing after another, one life after another, one moment after another. But if everyone exists at the same time, then mechanically speaking, there's no such thing as reincarnation. There are multiple simultaneous incarnations. You can make a connection energetically to someone else that you think is in the past. You can download information and experience from them. But you will, from a linear perspective, interpret that as a memory because that's the way we think in linear reality. So we go, oh, that was my past life. No, it wasn't. That person mm -hmm. is living right now alongside you in a different frequency. But you're connecting to them in a way that serves you. And they may be connecting to you in a way that serves them. It's like an internet that's dynamically fluctuating and changing, but it exists in the present throughout space and time. So, so, so it's not like our soul necessarily becomes that person. Exactly. You know, Elvis becomes, you know, Justin exactly. Bieber or someone else. It's not exactly. like that. And this is why you can have that, you know, that old chestnut of 50 different people saying, oh, you know, <laughs> I was Caesar. Right. Well, 50 different people can connect to Caesar, but obviously they can't all have been Caesar. So, of course. but if the mechanics of what Bashar is saying is true and everything exists simultaneously, then thousands of people can connect to Caesar. It's just that they have to realize it's not their past life, but it's their connection. And they're downloading information and experience from that individual who we call a historic individual. So that's the mechanism that underlies the experience of reincarnation. And reincarnation is simply the way we experience the mechanism from a linear space-time perspective. So to then now that I've laid that out, mm. the idea basically is you always have choice at every level. So even the idea of not learning something in particular in this life, you're an infinite eternal being. What's your hurry? You mm -hmm. always have a second choice forever. It never ends. So yes, it's important in one sense that you could learn certain things now and it might benefit you and other people in a certain way to do so. And you might have even decided to be here for that purpose. But, you know, you get lost and you can forget. And if it doesn't work out, well, okay, you chalk it up to experience as a soul and you make a decision as to what you're going to experience next. You're always given the choice as far as I understand it. It's beautiful. What is, what is God then? What is all from, that from is perspective all from Bashar's perspective. I share his perspective. All that is existence itself. Self-aware existence is what we call God. It is everything. It is everywhere. That's why, you know, it doesn't need to exert any force because it is everything. It's experiencing everything. Everything is an expansion of it, a reflection of it. You, me, everything is another way that God has of experiencing itself within its existence. So from Bashar's perspective, they just refer to it as all that is. Beautiful. 
final few questions. This is this is beautiful. Really enjoying my time with you. Uh, thank you for just sh sharing so much. Um, oh, my pleasure. Th th this could open up a can of worms, but I, I, you mentioned it a few times. So I'm wondering if anyone else is wondering. You talked about other civilizations, mm -hmm. you know, in, in our mainstream world. We often don't talk about hey, other civilizations on CNN or Fox News. Sure. We, we, we like no, we're the only things on, that exist. And so, can you say anything about other civilizations? Like from your understanding, what other civilizations? Can you speak to them? Can you break a it little down? bit? A little bit from what I know, Bashar's talked about, but that's you know more Bashar's backyard than mine. Yeah, because he's a first contact specialist. Um, they have, I guess, what would loosely be referred to as an interstellar alliance of hundreds of civilizations. Um, we already have some familiarity here with civilizations like the Pleiadians, like Sirius civilizations, things like that. Uh, mostly the ones we're sort of familiar with are the ones that are somehow directly or peripherally engaged with Earth. But there are probably thousands beyond that that we know nothing about that Bashar is aware of. And he could explain that a little bit better. But yes, we do have, in a sense, a kind of galactic family that's concerned about us, we're working with us in some way. But again, they can't do it for us. You know, they have to go only so far to help us realize how we can help ourselves. And then we have to make those changes in order to make ourselves more vibrationally compatible to be able to interact with a civilization that is, you know, much more together, so to speak. We have a lot to learn, but that's okay because that's part of the process. And that's one of the things that Bashar is helping us do by giving us an understanding of how reality works and how we can change our lives in more positive and constructive ways and create the planet to be something more akin to what we say we would like it to be. Now, from his perspective again, and I know, again, this can kind of, you know, over <laughs> people's heads, but he's saying you never really, again, this goes back to the idea that everything exists at the same time. So, multiple versions of earth exist right now so he's saying that when you see a change you never actually change the planet you're on you change yourself and you've actually shifted to another version of earth that is more reflective of the change you made within yourself but again from a linear space-time perspective mm. we create this concept of continuity and we think we're on the same planet and we're not and this happens literally billions of times per second according to him. You are literally shifting billions of times per second through different parallel versions of Earth, different parallel universes, but we look at it as one timeline. So if you understand that that's what's actually mechanically going on, then you also understand that you actually become a different person. And this is what creates the side effect called time. Change, time, space is the side effect of our consciousness shifting its perspective through parallel realities billions of times per second. That's what time is. So if you understand that and understand you're a different person, every change you make in a different mm -hmm. reality, you can be whatever you want to define yourself as that fits the purpose of your theme. So we really are quite free to be who we prefer to be within a certain theme that we've chosen to experience and we're really not held back except by our definitions of what we think reality is. And that's why he's trying to get us to understand reality from a very completely different perspective that frees us up to be able to experience the truth of reality, the flexibility 
of reality because yeah. we're the ones generating these experiences. Reality doesn't happen to us. It happens through us. Mm. And yet we don't know that yet. I felt that reality doesn't happen. To, it happens through us. And I love this idea of, of, of as we wake up to that, the flexibility. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's beautiful. Uh, final question, Daryl. Um, you shared so much. Uh, if you were to reflect on your life and your journey with Bashar, your life, your experiences, if you were to share with everyone, let's say the three most important life lessons that you've learned in this lifetime that you feel you could, that would evolve the next generation, you know, kids and yeah. grandchildren the most, what would, what would the three most important life wisdoms be that you could pass on? Well, definitely follow your passion, but the whole formula. Absolutely. Yes. Can't leave any of it out. But your passion is who you are. That's your vibration. That's your core essential field. So don't be afraid to follow your dreams and your passion. But number two, be clear what that means. Like I said earlier, know yourself very deeply. Make sure you understand the true reasons why you're choosing to do what you do. And the third thing I would say is to remember that everyone is as powerful as they need to be to attract whatever they need without having to hurt themselves or anyone else in order to do so. And it needs to be a more self-empowered, kinder world, interconnected world, where we really, really celebrate the diversity and the differences, because paradoxically, that's what creates unity. It's not about being homogenous. It's not about thinking yeah. like other people. It's not about yeah. being like someone else. You can't be like someone else. Mm -hmm. You are unique. But by celebrating the true uniqueness of, of the diversity and the differences in us, then we create true unity. It's like having a puzzle piece. A mm -hmm. puzzle piece is a certain shape and all the other puzzle pieces are slightly different shapes. They all fit together to make the big picture. And mm -hmm. without that diversity, you wouldn't get the big picture. Mm -hmm. So when you try to be a shape you're not, you don't fit in the big picture anymore. Just be the shape you are. Be your true self. I would say that. I've, I have really, honestly, loved this interview. And uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for doing the work that you have done the last 38, 40 years. What's the best way uh, people can find out about you, your work, Bashar, best website, anything you want um, to share about that? I'll give you three. For Bashar information, they can go to bashar.org, B-A-S-H-A-R.org. For my film production work, you can go to ziafilms.com, Z-I-A films.com and for other things i'm doing like books and so on and so forth you can go to darylanka.com so all those three will give you a pretty round uh, understanding of what it is i'm into and following my own passion in life awesome awesome folks we'll put uh, all of those links bashar.org to films.darylanka.com um we'll put all of that in the show notes zfilms.com we'll put all of that in the show notes and uh I hope you really enjoyed today's episode uh, very much. and, and everyone. Yeah. Thank you so much for creating these opportunities thank uh, you. for this kind of a sharing. I think it's really important and I had a great time. Awesome. Thank you, Daryl. Everyone, I told you this was going to be uh, special uh, and I really hope today's episode with Daryl uh, expanded your perspective and, and I, I hope some old beliefs have been shifting and falling away and you're seeing some of the nonsense of some of them and the deeper reality of who you are so do me a favor everyone send me an email kooplaxon at kooplaxon.com let me know your key takeaways from today's episode uh make sure you subscribe to soul talk and share today's episode 
with everyone in your life that you love. Catch you next week on Soul Talk. Love now. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.